What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have cried in my soul for its wrong I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Much of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray. Since Jesus came into my heart and my sins which were many are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart since Jesus came into my heart since Jesus came into my heart much of joy for my soul like the sea change in my life has been wrought. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray. 
I'm possessed of a hope that's steadfast and sure. There's a light in the valley of death for me. Hallelujah. And I'm going to go there to dwell in that city. Hallelujah. Thank God for saving our soul. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm glad, I'm glad to see everybody tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God. What a privilege it is to be in God's house. Amen. Amongst brothers and sisters. Amen. And our hope tonight is if there's one person in this place that don't know Jesus Christ, that tonight would be the night that you would make it right. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Brother Terry is going to lead us to the Lord tonight. Amen, Brother Terry. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ron. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for the wonderful blessing and the spirit that you give us tonight. And since you came into our heart, Lord, like the song says, God, such wonderful joy, joy, Lord, beyond compare. Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that you just be with our evangelists, Lord. Just touch him, Lord. Bring the Holy Spirit right down upon him, Lord. Let it be so real. Father, I pray you bless the singers tonight, Lord, and you let the Holy Spirit just fall on this service. Let it fall upon every individual, Lord. And please, Lord, let this spirit come from breast to breast to the congregation and all the ones, Lord, that's formed together here tonight. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for your glory and your mercy that you give to us. Now bless all the participants tonight. Put, cover them, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Don't you think some of this morning's carried on into the night? I believe Brother Ron's excited. I like it. I like it. Well, it's good to have you this evening at Hopewell Baptist Church. We want to welcome you to our service tonight as we're starting our revival through Wednesday, and we hope that you can be with us each night. Uh, tomorrow night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we will start at 7 p.m., and so we want you to invite folks to come and be with us. Uh, Brother Barry and Sister Tammy wasn't able to be with us, and but Matthew, who sings with them, came to be with us, and he's going to sing for us. And uh, I sure appreciate him, and I want you to pray for him. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome Matthew Burgess.
Satan just cowers to think of the power he lost when the cross had its day. And gone are the mornings when fear without warning would win and again have its way now when Satan reminds me of things I regret well I just bring up Calvary lest he forget high on the mountain of sorrow Sign my pardon as Christ took the blame when I'm called to answer for my history. Calvary answers for me. Aren't you glad tonight? 
Aren't you glad he's still on the throne tonight? Aren't you glad he's still saving sinners? Oh, I'm glad he saved a wretch like me. I'm glad when the devil brings up all those things from my past that Calvary still answers for me. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Darkness veils His lovely face. I rest on His unchanging grace. Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Yes, sir. You got stuff that you thank God for. Even on the worst of days, you can thank Him that you're born again. Amen? What we deserve is that place. We deserve hell. We're rotten at the core, every single one of us. (laughs) Oh, but He made a way when we couldn't get to Him. He came to where we were. (laughs) Oh, man. I sure am glad to be here this evening. Uh, If you came... Expecting the whole group, I'm sorry. Uh, You got the better half. (laughs) 
If it's just me and Barry, I'd say you got the better looking half, but, you know. But uh, I, 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 I want to thank Brother Dennis for uh, inviting me to come. He could have said, well, uh, if all of you can't come, I don't want any of you. But uh, he opened the doors, opened his arms, and opened his heart to me. And I sure do appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. Never take it for granted when I get to stand and uh, just testify on how good God is. <laughs> I'm full tonight. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I clear me off a spot right here and just have a spell. I think about how good he's been to me. Think about how well, what I deserve. Think about... Uh, the bad shape I'd be in without him. I was going to do something else, but I think I'll do this now. Uh, I ain't got no program. Got some stuff I want to sing. Maybe God will let me sing it. But uh, I feel like I need to do this. Uh, I wouldn't pay too much attention to my uh, my guitar playing. I'm, I'm from Mississippi. We call them guitars. They're not guitars. They're guitars or guitars depending on who you ask. Uh, I'm not a musician. Uh, God blessed me to be able to sing a little bit, but uh, all because of him, it ain't nothing because of me. Uh, he didn't He didn't bless me like he's blessed some folks to play, just pick up something and play it. And I do a lot of practicing. My fingers hurt, uh, and I still ain't that good. I still ain't good at all. Uh, I can make a noise every now and then. That's about about what I get. But uh, I've been able to do, to sing some songs that you can't find tracks for them. You can't hardly find music for them. Uh, this the one I want to do. It's not particularly one of them, but uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I tried picking some of these old old songs. And because you, you can't sing them any other way unless you know somebody plays piano and knows how to you know play them and, and you can sing them. But I don't know. I heard a preacher say one time, you want God to show up in a place to just brag on him a little bit. And uh, he'll show up. Uh, but I won't tell you how faithful he's been. In spite of me. I've not always been faithful, but he has. I've not always been graceful, but he has. I've not always been true, but he's always come through. He has. Yes, he has. I tell him I'm not strong, he says. <laughs> I am. I say I can't go on, he says I can. When I'm not the better one, I've not always overcome. But he has, yes, he has. He has been the greatest friend that ever known yes sir and he has paid the debt on Calvary 
tempted to sin and I failed the test again but he passed yes he passed oh and he has been the greatest friend that I have ever known oh and he has Surprise, 
still save sinners. <laughs> you might be here tonight and you think nobody cares. Nobody knows what I've been through. I bet God won't even take me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. If he can save me, he can save you. none should perish. All should come to repentance. He knows you. He knows where you're at. He knows every hair on your head. <laughs> he knows what you've been through. He knows where you're going. And he loves you. Where was I so bad that I needed forgiveness And was I so wrong I had to be redeemed Well, I wasn't a thief But I lived in sin's prison as lost as a sinner could be. Here's the good part. But I am so glad God saves old sinners. And I'm thrilled and amazed how he sets Aren't you glad you got a church that still preaches the old-time gospel? Still using what the world says is an outdated book. Still got a preacher that stands in the old way, the old-time way. Got an evangelist that still preaches the old-time gospel. I tell you what, that's what I'm looking for. I don't want all this mess that's got all these frills and bells and whistles on it. <laughs> Just make mine.
that's such a mystery to me How something as big as a new birth takes place And there's no signs of a sinner set free But that's not the way Just gonna sing one more song. Uh, time for the preacher to bring the word of God. That's the most important thing. My role here is not important. The gospel going forth is what's important. How will they hear without a preacher? The preaching is what's important. You know, we go all over the country. Well, I wouldn't say all over the country. All over the the southeast and travel. I think I traveled. Uh, 20, almost 30,000 miles this last, this last year. Um, you, you sing in a lot of places a lot of times. Um, my daddy's an old-time preacher, old, old independent Baptist preacher. He never did like singings, never did like them. He said, uh, all it is is for folks don't go to church, they don't ever step foot inside the church house, I'd go hear some singing. And you see a lot of faces that never step foot inside church other than coming to hear singing. And I'm convinced today that these groups around, not all of them, but a lot of them, are out of the will of God performing and entertaining people and not pointing them toward the cross. You imagine the opportunity that you have to stand in front of people that won't be in church any other time. They're only there to hear you sing or hear somebody that they like sing. So the need is great to give the gospel. 
the need is so great. And I feel like so many of us are squandering it. But we make it a point every time we stand to lift up Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about how good I can sound or how bad I can play. It's all about Him. If it's not for Him, if I don't lift Him up, unless the Holy Spirit come down, it's all in vain. And I pray you hide me behind the cross. But I want to sing you a song just to uh, encourage you tonight. As the way it looks around us, <laughs> this world's going down deeper and deeper and deeper. Oh, but God's children ought to be looking up, up, up. And one of these days we're going to make it. We're going to cross over. All <laughs> oh, the battle's already been won. One of these days, we're going to make it. No doubts, no fear, no dread. 
And uh, I'm glad we've made it safe thus far. And we're going to make it safe all the way through. 
Uh, I appreciate Brother Dennis, his wife, his family. They've been friends down through the years. And uh, he's, he's special and very dear to my heart. He's, he's more than just uh, a brother. He's a friend. And a friend loveth at all times. And uh, Brother Dennis has proved to be uh, that kind of friend. Uh, I, I know I walked up kind of slow, and I'm just going to warn you, that's my normal gait. Uh, I've been slow all of my life. I think my mama carried me like 12 months before I was born. And then after I was born, I didn't get my birthmark until I was <clears throat> eight years old. <laughs> I've never been first for anything in my life. But it is a joy to be with you this evening. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that um, I talked to our people about this morning. And as I drove... Uh, over the mountains it was just on my mind I thought about it all the way here and what I want to talk to you tonight about is the goodness and the greatness of God one of the first prayers I learned as a child was the simple prayer God is great God is good let us thank him for this food or for our food uh, there was a few times I was hungry I sat down at the table and jumped the gun and I had to pray like this. God is good. God is great. Thank you for the bite I ate. <laughs> but that's a prayer that children have prayed for many, many years. And it's a sweet prayer. And it's a cute prayer God is great God is good let us thank him for our food but if you look at that prayer and examine it closely you'll find that that prayer contains two awesome attributes of God and those attributes are God is great God is sovereign he does what he wants to he has the power and the ability to do anything he wants to do he needs permission from no one 
He's big enough. He's God enough. He's powerful enough to do the impossible, the unthinkable, if he so wills and desires to do so. God is great. And God is good. He's good. God is great. God is good. Both of these attributes of God are found in one word. One word defines these attributes of God, and that is God is holy. God is holy, and the word holy embraces his goodness and his greatness. When we think about the holiness of God, most of the time we think about God's purity. We think about God's righteousness, and that is the secondary meaning of the word holy. But if you'll study just a little deeper, maybe in a lexicon, you'll find that the primary meaning of the word holy means to be set apart, uh, to be consecrated, or to be unlike any other. And what that means is God's righteousness is unlike any other. His power is unlike any other. His greatness is unlike any other. His goodness is unlike any other. God is holy. He is in a class all to himself. He's unlike any other. God is good. Psalms 119 and verse 68 says, Thou art good, and doest good. I could give you many proof texts tonight from the Bible declaring that God is good. But one's enough. Thou art good and doest good. 
As a matter of fact, God is the fountainhead of all goodness. What God does is consistent with who God is. God is always true to his character. God is not good because he does good. But rather God does good because he is good. We serve a good God. He's a good God. And the Bible said he does good. By the way, a good God can't do anything but good. God is great. God is great. He's the CEO of the universe. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 22, the Bible declares, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord, for there is none like thee. He's unlike any other. Neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Not only does the Bible declare that God is good, the Bible also declares that God is great. However, The goodness of God and the greatness of God has been challenged down through the ages all the way back to the Garden of Eden. People have challenged the goodness of God. And the greatness of God. The question has been raised, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? If God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering in this world? If God is good, why are there natural disasters that often kill hundreds of thousands of people? If God is good, why do little babies go to bed hungry at night? If God is good, why are some born with sick and frail bodies? 
If God is good, why does cancer exist? If God is good. Or if God is great. If he is all-powerful, why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he do something about it? If God is good, and if God is great, why doesn't he put an end to evil and human pain and suffering. I'm sure most of you have heard of a very famous personality by the name of Larry King. Larry King died recently. But he was a famous TV personality, radio personality. Larry King probably interviewed more famous and powerful people than anyone that's ever lived. Larry King was a Jew. And for many years, he claimed to be an agnostic. He believed that there was some spiritual power or some spiritual being out there. But he didn't have a name. And you could not know him. But in the year 2015, Larry King announced that he had become a full-blown atheist. He said, I do not believe there is a God. And the very thing that drove him to that conclusion was not being able to reconcile the goodness of God to the greatness of God. If God is good, why is there evil and suffering in the world? And if God is great, why doesn't he put an end to it? Why didn't he prevent natural disasters from happening? Why didn't he prevent man falling into sin in the garden if God is great? And so Larry King died as an atheist. He's not the only one that's called the goodness and the greatness of God into question. There was another Jewish 
man. He was actually a rabbi. His name was Harold Kushner. In 1981, he wrote a book entitled When Bad Things Happen to Good People. When bad things happen to good people. His title was somewhat misleading because the Bible says there's none good. You remember the rich man went to Jesus and called him good master? And Jesus just stopped him and asked the rich man, Why are you calling me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. Jesus was saying, if you're not God, you're not good. Of course, Jesus was God and Jesus was good, but the rich man didn't know that. And that was our Lord's way of saying to this man, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're not God, you're not good. But in the book, he actually raises the question, if God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is good, why do people suffer from cancer? If God is good, why are there natural disasters? And if God was great, then why doesn't he prevent it or end it? And the book comes to this conclusion. Harold Kushner stated that he believed that there is a God and that God is good. He's benevolent. He believed that God was benevolent, but he did not believe that God was omnipotent. And he drew the conclusion that God was unable to do anything about the evil and the pain and the tragedies in this world. He portrayed God as a helpless bystander. Not being able to do anything about it. And his book went straight to the top, became the nation's best-selling book at that time. How do you reconcile the goodness of God 
with the greatness of God. If God is good, why do bad things happen? If God is great, why doesn't he do something about it? There's one thing that Larry King and Harold Kushner failed to see. And that is God is good, God is great, which is embraced by his holiness. He's holy. As a matter of fact, his goodness is holy. His greatness is holy. Everything about God is holy. His thoughts are holy. His words are holy. His works are holy. Everything God does is holy. Larry King and Harold Kushner felt that if God was good, that no one would ever be sick. They believed that if God was good, no child or no person would go to bed hungry at night. They believed that if God was good, there would be no crime, no murders, no war. And their concept was if God was good, then God owes us a healthy body and wealth. And happiness and peace. But I want to ask you a question tonight, and I want you to think about it. God's holiness demands justice. My question is, could God be good if he rewarded rebellion? Could God be just and righteous and holy if he blessed evil you see God made us with a will do you realize that 
If we didn't have a will, the ability to choose, the opportunity to choose, there would be absolutely no meaningful relationships in all the world. If God just programmed us to do good, and if God programmed us to make the right choices, if God just programmed us to always do the right thing, we would be nothing more than a machine. And God wants us to love him. Because we choose to love him. God wants us to obey him because we want to obey him. Did you know if, if God programmed us to always do the right thing and make the right decisions... There would be no meaningful human relationships. Every one of us would do right by our spouse because that's the way we would be programmed. I don't want my wife to love me because she feels that she has to love me. If she had to love me, if she was forced to love me, if she did not have a choice, if she did not have an option, then her love would be meaningless. I want her to love me because she wants to love me. God gave man the ability to choose. But also, God established a law that is just as true as the law of gravity. With every decision we make, there is always a consequence. And you cannot make bad decisions and expect good results. So many people, this is where they are in life. They don't like where they are. They don't like who they are. They're not satisfied with what they have. A lot of people hate their jobs. They're not happy in their marriage. And they sit around and they wait and hope and pray that things will get better. That somehow 
You'll evolve into that person you've always wanted to be. And your life would be what you've always wanted it to be. And your relationships would always be what. And we just keep hoping and waiting for something to happen, for something to come. We don't know how it's going to come, where it's coming from, but we just hope. That things will get better. But the problem is, we keep living life the same way while we expect different results. The life that you're wanting, the life that you're desiring, that I'm desiring. doesn't just happen to come. A good life is the result of making good decisions. You've got to start by making good decisions because with every decision you make, there will always be a consequence. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. In the beginning, in the beginning, there was Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covereth perfect in beauty, the sum of wisdom, every precious stone was his covering, but there was no Satan. In the beginning, God made man, and from man he made woman, and there was no such thing as cancer. And there was no such thing as earthquakes. And God made a world where tsunamis did not exist. You see, every time something happens, People want to point their finger and blame God every time there's a national tragedy or a natural tragedy. People want to blame God. People suffering from sickness and other diseases, everybody wants to blame God. But in the beginning, God created a world that was free from natural disasters, free from sickness, free from pain. And the suffering and the curse that was placed on the earth and the pain was the result of man making bad 
decisions. Why did God do it? Listen to me carefully. Why did God do it? Why would a good God create man knowing that man would fall into sin? Why would a good God put man in the garden within arm's length of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? If God didn't want Adam and Eve to eat of that tree, why didn't he put it where they could not get to it? If we have items in our homes that could be harmful to our children, what do we do? We put it out of their reach. If you have a bottle containing some type of medication, and some of these medicines concern me. For example, I, I saw a... Um, some type of medication the other day in the drugstore, and this is what it said on the box, maximum strength. Hmm, maximum strength. It sounds to me like they just made it strong enough to kill you and then backed it up a couple of notches. <laughs> maximum strength. This is the most you can take without dying. But on the medicine bottles, it'll always tell you, keep this and all medications out of the reach of children. So you put it on the top shelf. God didn't put the tree of knowledge of good and evil on the top shelf. He put it in the midst of the garden, right beside the tree of life. If God was good, why would he put Adam and Eve in that situation or if God was great why didn't he prevent it from happening why didn't he stop it listen to me I want to tell you why and I believe I can why would God take a little space between eternity past and eternity future and call it time. And why would God create man from the dust of the ground all the time knowing that man would fall into sin? Knowing all the time that there would be pain and sickness and tragedy resulting from his sin? Why would God create a man knowing he was going to fall, knowing that eventually God himself would take on a human body in order to redeem fallen man, knowing all the time 
that he would have to suffer as the man Jesus. Why would God do that? Think about it. There was only one aspect of God that could be enlarged. He couldn't expand his knowledge. He's always been uh, omniscient. He knows everything. He's never forgotten anything old. He's never learned anything new. He could not expand his presence. He's always been omnipresent. He can be anywhere he wants to be all at the same time. David said, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. God could not expand his power. Always been omnipotent. Could not expand his knowledge, always been omniscient. He could not expand his presence. He's always been om omnipresent. There was only one attribute of God that he could expand. And that was his glory. God created man knowing that he was going to fall into sin. Yet God was going to say to fallen man, I love you. And I'm going to send my only son to die for you. And God knew that a redeemed sinner saved by grace would look up and say, God, you didn't have to love me, but I'm glad you did. And God, you didn't have to convict me. You didn't have to seek me. You didn't have to call me, but I'm sure glad you did. Amen. And God, you didn't have to send your son Jesus to suffer, to bleed, to die, to shed his blood so that I might have life. But I'm sure glad you did. And God, you didn't have to save me, but I'm sure glad you did. And God knew that a redeemed sinner would give him glory. It's all about his glory. Why did God allow Lucifer to become Satan? It's about his glory. Why didn't God stop Adam and Eve from falling in the garden? It's all about his glory. Why doesn't God take away human pain, human suffering? Because God gets glory through our suffering. John chapter 9, there was a man born blind. 
And the disciples asked the question, who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus said, nobody sinned. You know, a lot of time we look at human tragedy and we think somebody must have sinned. Somebody must have done wrong somewhere. And now they're just reaping the seed they sow. No, Jesus said, nobody sinned. Nobody sinned that he was born blind. But he was born blind. That God might be glorified. His parents didn't know. And his friends and family didn't know. He didn't know. Don't you think there were times uh, when that young man asked, Why was I born blind? Why can't I see like everybody else? God allowed him to suffer because he knew that his suffering was going to bring him glory. Why did Jesus allow Lazarus to die? He plainly said his sickness is not unto death. It was not something that people normally died with. But Jesus allowed him to die. And Jesus allowed Martha and Mary to walk the floors. Lord, why don't you come? Why don't you do something about it? Why aren't you here? And when he finally did come, both of them said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, our brother would not have died. They didn't understand that Jesus said his sickness was not unto death. But he's going to die so that the son might be glorified. Jesus said, I'm going to get glory from their suffering. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. It was the messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. I don't know what Paul's thorn was, but he did use the word infirmity. The word infirmity comes from the Greek word asthenio. It's translated several times in the Gospels as sickness or disease. And Paul prayed and asked God three times to take his thorn away. And God said no. But he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. I love that word sufficient. It means bigger than. Greater than. Paul, I'm not going to take your pain away, but I'm going to give you grace that's bigger than your pain. I'm not going to heal your loved one, but I'm going to give you grace that's bigger than your sorrow. I, I, I'm not going to take that burden, but I'll give you grace that's bigger than that burden. Grace that's deeper than that river. Grace that's wider than that valley. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
What was God saying? My strength is made perfect in weakness. God was saying to Paul, I get glory through your suffering. That's why the Bible says that God uses the weak and God uses the foolish. And God uses the things that are not, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God uses the weak to confound the things that are mighty. He uses the foolish to confound the things that are wise. He uses the things that are not. You know what that means, the things that are not? Those that have been brought down to nothing. Nothing. Have you ever felt like you've been brought down to nothing? You have nothing to offer. You don't have any more dreams. You've been brought down to nothing. And when we are brought down to nothing, that's when God can use us. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Let me close with this thought. But it's, it's only temporary. Let me read what, what uh, Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. One day our suffering and our pain will become glory. And the more we suffer, the greater the glory. That's what the Bible says. And Paul even said, the sufferings of this present life are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. One day our suffering will become glory. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Let me close with this. In John chapter 16, can you bring that up, verse number 20 down through verse 22, I think. John chapter 16, Jesus was talking to the disciples. He had told them that he was going away. 
and he had told them where he was going, they couldn't come. And they were confused and bewildered. They even asked among themselves, what's he talking about? What does that mean? He's going, and where, we, where he goes, we can't come. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, verily, verily, truly, truly. Really, it means amen, amen. Normally, we say amen after the statement to affirm what has been said. Preacher says something, we say amen. It's true. Let it be so. We affirm what the preacher said with amen. But Jesus didn't need any affirmation. He put the amen or the verily in the front. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep. Talking to the disciples, ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. Watch this. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Bring up verse 21 if you can. And he illustrates what he's saying. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. He talks about a woman having a baby. When you find out, you know, that you're expecting, you find out that you're going to have a baby, it not only means that you're not only going to be a mother, but it means you're probably going to have a lot of sickness. And you're probably going to get nauseated, especially in the mornings. It probably means your ankles are going to swell and your joints are going to swell. And it means you're going to get big, really big. <laughs> and it also means that your back is going to hurt. And it probably means that you're going to have a battle with your blood pressure, may even be confined to bed rest. And all of that's the good part. <laughs> There's going to be nights when you can't sleep. There'll be times when you weep and you have no idea why you're crying. You just feel like crying. And then it gets bad. When the hour comes, that's when the suffering really begins. And the cramps really start coming. And it leads to a point of you pushing and pushing 
when you feel like you can't push anymore, your strength is gone. You're on the brink of giving up. And by the way, while all of this is going on and the baby's passing through the birth canal, you're walking right up to the very brink of death. But finally, The baby comes, and you get to hold the baby for the first time, and you don't think about those mornings when you almost threw up your toenails. You don't think about your joints swelling your feet swelling, back hurting, not being able to find that comfortable position. You don't think about those sleepless nights. You don't think about the high blood pressure. You don't even think about the pushing and the pain. When you see that baby, <laughs> all of your sorrow and pain becomes joy. Joy. The same baby that caused you to gain all that weight, the same baby that made you sick in the mornings, the same baby that caused your feet to swell, the same baby that caused your back to hurt. The same baby that kept you awake at night. The same baby that brought you to the brink of death's river is now bringing you joy. And Jesus said, that's the way your suffering is going to be. The weeping when mama died or daddy passed away or you lost that brother or that sister or that child or that husband or that wife and your life hasn't been the same since. You've lost your health. And you'd give anything just to, to have your life back. Some are in chronic pain. They suffer every conscious moment they're awake. But one day, all of that pain and the very same baby that brought the pain and the sorrow and the suffering is going to bring you joy. And Paul said the joy that that baby is going to bring to you is not even worthy to be compared with all the suffering that you went through. 
I just want to close with these words. God is great. And God is good. Would you stand with me all over the building? Brother, do you ha- do you have a song that you could this whatever God puts on your heart will be fine. You know, Satan always attacks us in what we know about God, the knowledge we have of God. And the Bible says that. That's where he attacked Eve. He attacked Eve on the basis of what she knew about God and that's where Satan attacks me and that's where he attacks you in the areas what we know about God I know God is good and I'm sure Satan has attacked you in that area I know God is great. Yet Satan has attacked me in that area. I know he loves me. Yet Satan has attacked me in that area. Has Satan ever jumped on your shoulders and whispered into your ear there's no need for you to pray you think God's going to hear your prayer God doesn't care about you if God loved you you wouldn't be going through this if God was really good And if God was really great, why hasn't he prevented all the bad things that have happened in your life? I'm talking about where the rubber meets the road. And all of these are fundamentals that we must get right. We've got to get these right. God is good. God is great and he does love you and he does care and one day all of these suffering and and pain are going to work a heavy weight of glory And we're going to hold that baby. 
And the joy of holding that baby will so far exceed and outweigh all the suffering that we've ever known. Maybe, 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 maybe you need to talk to God about it tonight. God is great. God is good. God is great. And God is good. Our brother's going to sing. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. Your preacher will come and close the service. Do you need to talk to him tonight? The altar's open. You let him have his way. Amen. Bless you. I want to know him better And I want to walk closer I want to learn about the heart That was broken then It may require suffering Amen Father, tonight as we bow in your presence, Lord, I don't claim to have all the answers or to understand all that happens, but I do know that you're a good God, and I know that you're great, and there's none like you. Father, I pray for all of us who have perhaps at one time or another, we've struggled with your goodness and your greatness. Lord, sometimes life just doesn't make sense. But I'm glad that you're good and doest good. You do all things well. I pray tonight for these that have come and those that are gathered around this altar. I don't know their burdens and don't know their needs, but 
Father, you do. That's all that matters. Others here tonight that are facing struggles in their own lives. I pray for them that you'll be with them and give them grace as we leave here tonight. If we don't take anything else home with us, if this congregation forgets everything I've said, help us to leave knowing that you're good and that you're great. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Brother Dennis. Amen. Thank you, brother. Love you. Thank you so much.